questions, please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 9. 1 Samuel chapter 9. We're going through the book of 1 Samuel on Sunday mornings. We are currently in chapter 9, verse 1. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our relationship with you, that you're our dad. We cry out to you this morning as Abba Father. We're thankful for your grace, your mercy, your provision for eternal life, that you're with us. As we have sang in worship, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. That's our prayer. That's our invitation. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in our lives. We welcome you in this place. We want to hear your voice. Through the pages of scripture, through your word, God, would you speak powerfully. We know that there's a real enemy that would want to rob us from the word, and so would you bind Satan? Ways that we would be distracted, confused. We pray for clarity, that there would be a a clear application from your word this morning. Just ask for your grace and strength in teaching your word. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Who's in the details? Who's really in the details? A famous phrase is, the devil is in the details, right? We know what's being expressed by that is the details are no fun a lot of times. You set forward in a plan and emotion, and you get into all the details, and it's challenging. And in our lives, a lot of times, we get frustrated with the details. I know for me personally, I'm not a detailed person. That may surprise you a little bit. I, I know I came out to the stage and I was like, I think something's changed with the stage up here on the instruments, but I'm not sure what it is. Oh yeah, the grand piano is over here, right? It could have taken me six months to notice that they moved the piano. And some of you are going like, oh yeah, they did move the piano, you know? You're probably not a detailed person either. Men, if your wife has to tell you that she got her hair cut and you didn't notice, that probably means you're not a detailed person. When I go to my office, I like to consider it as organized chaos. There is an organization in my mind that makes no sense to anybody else. But some of you were marked as a detail-oriented person when you came out of the womb. Your world is organized. You've got it all set, set together. You notice details. For other of us, we're not that way. And I suggest to you this morning that it's not that the devil is in the details. It's that God is in the details. And that too is a quote. It comes from a German architect, and he was the first to say this phrase, God is in the details. An architect would notice the details, wouldn't they? Architects tend to be detailed people. And when you look at the world around us, it's detailed. God is in the detail of every leaf. Every snowflake is, is different and designed by God. The human cell, as we look at DNA and the structure of the, the human cell, is designed by God. God's definitely in the detail. But he's not just in the detail of creation, but he's in the detail of your life. And there's one simple thing that I hope that you get this morning from this message is that God is in the details for your life personally. I could sum up this chapter in 15 seconds and we could be done this morning. And I'm gonna go ahead and give everything to you in 15 seconds and we could be done. Are you ready? Here it is, okay? Saul lost his donkeys, went looking for him for three days, ended up at Samuel's house, and gets anointed as king. God bless you. See you next week. Hey, there they go, right there. <laughs> There's really that much detail 
in this chapter. That, that's what happens. If I've read through this chapter in my own personal devotions, I, I've kind of just moved quickly through it. That this is kind of a transition chapter to Saul becoming king without meditating upon it. And as I meditated upon it this week, it really struck me the fact that, yes, God is in the details of Saul losing his donkeys to bring him to Samuel to become king. And for us to hear this message that when we get frustrated, when we have those experiences where we lose our donkeys, when the truck breaks down, when, when something isn't working out the way that we want it to, that God's hand is right in the midst of that, leading us to interact with people that we probably wouldn't interact with otherwise. Last night when we were headed to the Saturday night service, I'm backing out of the garage, I've got the older two kids with me, and I hear this crunch. Parents know that sound. <sighs> oh great, I hit a bike, I hit a scooter, what did I hit? I get out behind the van, and it's our son's bicycle helmet, <laughs> flattened, right? And I got to tell you, it's like, I don't go, wow, I see God's hand in flattening the bicycle helmet. All I see is another 20 bucks out the window, right? You got to go get a new bicycle helmet. And that's the case so many times. You know, I don't think that Saul and his dad were thinking, wow, this is a great thing that we lost the donkeys. But in losing the donkeys then it led to something very significant in their lives. God works very supernaturally in the natural. This is just a very natural thing that would happen, but then they look back and they see God's supernatural hand. So let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 9. Let's begin our journey. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekroth, the son of Abiah, the son of, of a Benjamite a mighty man of power. This is Saul's dad. The children of Israel are demanding a king from God. They're saying, God, we don't want you to rule and reign over us. God says, okay, I'm gonna give you what you're desiring. We studied last week the importance of not demanding things from God, but leaving the choice up to him, asking for, for God's will. Chapter nine is now down God answering that prayer He's, he's going to give them what they desired in Saul being their king. We're introduced to Saul, that he comes from the tribe of Benjamin, from a wealthy family, from a family of influence. This is significant when we learn the history of the tribe of Benjamin. If you studied with us a couple years ago through the book of Judges, we entitled that series, I Rule. At the end of the book of Judges, we find a priest with his concubine in a Benjamite city. And this is one of the more difficult stories in the scriptures. And his concubine is raped to death. And then the priest then dismembers her body into 12 parts and sends the 12 parts to the 12 tribes of Israel. They have a response. They come to the tribe of Benjamin and say, turn over the rapists to us. Turn over the perpetrators to us. The tribe of Benjamin would not do it. So Israel then attacked the tribe of Benjamin. Almost the whole tribe of Benjamin is wiped out. And that's just a few years prior to this event. We go from Judges to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel is the next book in the Bible. Why would God choose the tribe of Benjamin? Because that's oftentimes how he works. 
He takes the disqualified. He takes those that have been written off. He takes the smallest, the weakest. And he says, I'm going to raise up from that tribe to be the new king of Israel. More personal, look at Saul in verse 2. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. That's quite a compliment from God. That he was more handsome than anybody else in his day. I'm sure when Saul walked into a room, everybody just looked because of his appearance. And he was head and shoulders, literally head and shoulders above everyone else. So, so everybody else's height is here, and he's a whole head taller. He's a whole foot taller. This would make sense. This is a logical choice for a leader, an influential family, handsome, someone that someone would naturally look towards. This is how we tend to choose our leaders. We look at the outward appearance. But what's missing here in verse 2? There's nothing about his relationship with God. There's nothing about his heart for God. There's nothing about his character. We fast forward the story a little bit. David is the second king of Israel. Nobody considers David as a possibility to be king. He's not the most qualified. He's not the most good looking. He's, he's young. But God chose David because of his heart. He was a, a man after God's own heart. God even said, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Who are the enemies of the children of Israel? The Philistines. They also had a few tall guys, didn't they? Goliath was, was a giant. It would make sense to try to find a tall leader. Unfortunately, Saul didn't have a heart for God, and it'll cost Israel greatly as we'll continue in this study of 1 Samuel. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost, and Kish said to his son Saul, please take one of the servants with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. The donkeys were valuable. They would carry the burden, create great profit. It would be similar to a rancher or a farmer losing their truck. The truck is, is used to carry all of these loads for a farmer to lose their heavy equipment to be able to do the farming. This doesn't sound like good news for Kish and for Saul. The donkeys have been lost. Saul, it's going to be your job to wander the hills to go find the donkeys. Take one of the servants with you. It's not the kind of day where Saul's thinking, maybe I'm going to be anointed to be king. He's probably setting out saying, there's a lot of other things that I would rather do today. And I think this really hits home for us. This is recorded for us in scripture for a reason. Nothing's just quick passing for us in the scriptures. I remember several years ago working on my sprinkler system. The backflow valve had frozen in the winter. It was leaking as I turned it on in the spring. That The backflow valve looks kind of like this, and it's got copper pipe usually coming in and, and going out, the, the in and the out uh, of, of the, where the water goes into to the system. So Kent, who's now in Uganda, he, he and I were working on it together, and it went pretty well. We got the new backflow and got purchased it at Home Depot, put it in, and turned on the water. It's not working. Look a little bit closer. The reason it's not working is there's an arrow on the backflow valve for the direction of the water to flow through. We had put it on backwards. Now, how many pastors does it take to put on a backflow <laughs> valve? 
obviously more than two. <laughs> it takes more than, more than two. And I'm, I'm getting frustrated because then you take this thing off and put it on correctly. And if you've worked with copper pipe, once they're filled with water, it's a lot harder to, to get them then properly to seal without there being a leak. So I had to cry uncle. It's one of the harder things to do when you're working on a project and call for help. Called the sprinkler guy, the professional, and he comes. And sure enough, I get to share the Lord with him. See, God was doing something. God was in the details. God was in the broken sprinkler system, but I wasn't thinking that. I wasn't understanding that. God's always in the details. The car breaks down. Look for what God's doing in in the midst of that. Lose your job? Well, what's God doing in in the midst of this? Get a new job? What's God doing in the midst of this? God is in, in the details. God is in the midst of these donkeys being lost. On a side note, I think it's kind of interesting that God uses donkeys throughout scripture. Like of all things, like, you know, who wants a donkey, really? They're kind of these unique animals. They're not very attractive. They make funny noises. You know, if if you're a donkey lover, the Lord bless you, right? But it's not the first thing that would come to mind when you think of God using something. Balaam is on his donkey. He's not in the right place with the Lord. The angel of the Lord stands in front of him. The donkey sees the angel. Balaam doesn't, so he just begins whipping on his donkey. God opens up the mouth of the donkey. He says, I've always been a good donkey. Why are you wailing on me today? And the funny thing is Balaam just starts having a conversation with his donkey. It's like, if your dog started talking to you this afternoon, don't you think you'd be like, this is kind of weird, you know? (laughs) Who opened the mouth of my dog? But he just starts having this argument with, with his donkey. And God shows his power that he can speak through a donkey, and he's still doing that today, amen? I mean, he's still speaking through, through donkeys. He's speaking through you and me. We also find Jesus coming into Jerusalem for the triumphal entry right before he's crucified. Jesus tells his disciples, I, I want you to go to this guy's house. He's got a young donkey, and just take it. Just, just, just go ahead and take it. And they're like, well, what happens if the owner's like, why are you stealing my donkey? Just tell him that the master has need of it. So that's exactly what the disciples do. Picture yourself having a normal day with your donkey outside. Here comes the disciples. They're just walking off with your donkey. Hey, where are you guys going? Oh, the master has need of it. So he lets them take his donkey. This donkey has not been trained, never been ridden. But when Christ sits upon the donkey, completely calm, recognizes the Lord comes in on the triumphal entry. This is significant because the Romans are in control. When the Roman generals come through after a victory, they were not riding a donkey. Would anyone want their triumphal entry to be on a donkey? Would anybody even ride in the 4th of July parade on a donkey? I've never seen that before. Jesus is showing his humility and that he came in riding upon a donkey. And then here, In 1 Samuel 9, we see God using this incident of lost donkeys. Verse 4, so he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalsha, but they didn't find them. They passed through the land of Shalman, and they were not there. They passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. This is quite the search. One city, two cities, now through the whole region, still no donkeys. When they'd come to the land of Zuv, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. That's good wisdom. 
we've been out here a long time. If we don't get back, dad's going to start worrying about us instead of the donkeys. And he said to him, look now, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. The servant uses great wisdom to seek God in the details. God's in the details. We need to seek God in the details. It'd be very easy to just say, we've already been out here for three days. Let's just go home. Let's move on. But the servant's saying, let's go see the man of God. The man of God may have insight for us, wisdom about what's going on with our donkeys. I think most of us think this way, that God cares about us at the big view of our lives, the panoramic view of our lives. But he really doesn't care about the details. He cares about the person that's in the hospital with cancer, that's terminally ill with cancer. He cares about all the lost people that don't know Christ as their savior, but he really doesn't care about my donkeys. He doesn't really care that my car is broken down. He's got bigger things to worry about, so I can't bring my car trouble to the Lord. Or I can't bring to the Lord that we're having a difficult time getting groceries. Or school's coming up, and man, you're thinking about all, they, they, this, all the things that, that my kids need, or, or this relational challenge that, that's in your life. And this servant has an understanding of God to say, you know what, we can go to Samuel, to the prophet, and bring before the Lord this need over, over the donkeys. And I wonder what we would do. I can almost see myself as Saul at this point saying, we can't bother Samuel on this. I'm sure Samuel's got more important stuff to deal with, but both the servant and Saul are willing to take this to Samuel, and it becomes significant. God's working through this servant. Saul could have chosen any servant, but he chose this servant, and God works through him. Verse 7, then Saul said to his servant, but look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessel is all gone, and there's no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again and said, look, I have here at hand one-fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give that to the man of God to tell us our way. It was customary to bring a gift to Samuel when he came for prayer and for for wisdom. In verse 9, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, come, let us go to the seer, For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer. Now Samuel said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. They called Samuel a seer because many of the things that he spoke had to do with the future. Future events like Eli's house being judged and then it became true. But they also called him a prophet. Samuel has a really unique ministry in the Old Testament because he's a priest He's also a prophet, but he was also a judge. The other judges in the book of Judges were not priests. They were not prophets. They were deliverers. And Samuel was a deliverer, but he also was a prophet. He spoke the word of God. But also, he was a priest and interceded for God's people. The only person in Scripture that's priest, prophet, and king is Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfills all three of those offices. Samuel fulfilled two of those offices. So verse 11, as they went up the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? Very common practice to go out to have to get your water, traveling to the well, 
They say, is the prophet here? And they answered them and said, yes, there he is just ahead of you. Hurry now, for today he came to this city because there is a sacrifice of the people today on the high place. What a coincidence. No, God's in the details. Samuel was scheduled to be in this very city for a sacrifice, for a big worship gathering. Saul just happens to be in the same city because he's searching for his donkeys and gonna seek Samuel out. God's hands all over this. This would kind of be like your car gets stolen, you're searching for it, you're searching for it, you're searching for it. You finally stop at a rest stop and there's Billy Graham just sitting outside the rest stop. And he says, great to see you. The Lord bless you. Can I pray for you? And you're like, wow, God had this all set up. I lost my car, but now I get to sit down with Billy Graham and Billy Graham prayed for me before he passed away. Pretty cool. And this is what Saul's going through. He's just chasing after his donkeys and God has this amazing plan that's unfolding for him. Verse 13 As soon as you come into the city, you will surely find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now therefore go up, for about this time you will find him. Not only is it the right day, the right place, the right city, but it's the right time. I picture Samuel to probably be pretty busy, a hard guy to get some time with. The event hasn't kicked off. The worship service hasn't kicked off. And here's Samuel, and he's got time to meet with Saul. So they went up to the city. As they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you all shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I've looked upon him because their cry has come to me. God had prepared Samuel. Tomorrow, there's gonna be a young man coming from the tribe of Benjamin. He's to be the king of my people. Samuel heard God's voice at a young age and he never stopped listening to the Lord. We saw last week in our study that Samuel was interceding for God's people. He's whispering in God's ear, but he's also hearing God speak to him. And the two go hand in hand. When we spend time talking to the Lord, we're going to hear from the Lord. And God prepares his heart. Samuel's an awesome example of walking with the Lord. In verse 17, so when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there he is, the man of whom I spoke to you, this one shall reign over my people. There's an emphasis that these are God's people. Even though Saul's the king, the people belong to the Lord. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, please tell me where is the seer's house? Samuel answered Saul and said, I'm the seer. Go up before me to the high place for you shall eat with me today and tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. I wonder at this point, Saul's gotta be gone. this is kind of strange. I'm just wondering where my donkeys are at. And here now, Samuel wants to have a meal with me. 
and is saying, I'm, I'm not going to tell you till tomorrow all the things that are in your heart. I, I don't have till tomorrow. Dad's already worried about me. Could, could you just give me some insight on where my donkeys are? There's something much bigger here happening than the donkeys. In verse 20, but as for your donkeys, they were lost three days ago, but do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. And on whom is all of the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on your father's house? Saul didn't speak about the donkeys. God had spoken supernaturally to Samuel, and Samuel saying, hey, don't worry about the donkeys. They've already been found. They've already been re returned home. There's foreshadowing. There's a statement that's given to Saul that had to get his curiosity. All of the expectation of Israel is upon you. What do you mean? What, what's happening here? And that's expressed in the next verse. And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family, the least of all the families of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Why are you telling me that all of Israel is desiring me when I'm from the tribe of Benjamin? We're, we're the least tribe. We're the outcast tribe because of what we did just a few years ago. And of the whole tribe of Benjamin, well, my family is the least inside of, of this tribe. Saul begins in humility. We don't see Saul starting off as a prideful man, but he will become a prideful man. As he becomes king, as he has power, he loses the humility. It's important to begin in humility, to walk in humility, to stay in that place of dependency upon the Lord. This statement of the desire and the expectation beyond Saul does show the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel. They're looking to a man instead of looking to the Lord. Their desire and expectation should be upon the Lord, not upon a man. Amen. Verse 22, now Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. There were about 30 persons. God can move quickly, can he? He can raise somebody up quickly. He can remove them quickly. Saul's really got to be wondering what's going on here. My imagination gets the best of me here. These guys have been searching for these donkeys for a long time. There's no shower. Saul's probably smelling like a donkey as he comes in to sit down at this meal, and now he's in the honored position. He's at the, the head of the table, if you would, and he gets the special portion of meat, the special cut. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart, so the cook took up the thigh, which is the upper part, and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, here it is. What well, was kept back, it was set apart for you. Eat, for until this time it has been kept for you, since I said I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. When they'd come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the top of the house. The tops of the house flat roof, so it provided a patio, provided a deck to be able to have a conversation in the cool of the evening. We see Jesus doing the same thing with Nicodemus in the Gospels. They spend the evening talking together. Then they arose, and it was about the dawning of the day, so it's the new day, that Samuel called to Saul on the top of the house, saying, get up, that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, and both of them went outside, he and Samuel. Samuel's clearly the leader here. I think that when Samuel said, hey, you're going to have 
a meal with me? You probably had a meal with Samuel as he was old and age and, and well-respected. And Samuel says, hey, we're going to talk in the morning. Yeah, you'd talk in the morning. When Samuel says, it's time to get up and time for you to get going, you go, I guess we're done here. <laughs> Samuel's clearly the leader in this interaction. And as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And when he went on, but you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of the Lord. They're on the outskirts of the city, the servant's sent away, it's just Saul and Samuel. And Samuel's gonna anoint Saul to be king. And that's where we'll pick up this story next week. For the sake of this study this morning, would you please turn with me to Psalms 139. I wanna read through Psalms 139 together. And then also put a finger in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. So Psalms 139, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Because this is what I think takes place in our lives is we go, this is great that God's hand is on Saul, that God is involved in the details of Saul's life, but of course, he's gonna be the king of Israel. But how do I know biblically from God that God's involved in the details of my life? I would really like this morning for some of you, if you don't believe that God is involved in the details of your life, that you'd be confronted with scripture. You'd be confronted with what God says about himself and then maybe that you believe it, but you need to be reminded of it. That you know that God is personal, but for some reason, you've started to dismiss that he's involved in your life because Psalms 139 makes it very clear that God's in the details. So let's read through this. Oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. That's to us specifically. God searched us, he's, he's known us, he knows everything about us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. God knew exactly where that you would sit this morning. If you're in the upper room, the cafe, if you're listening on the live stream, he knew exactly where you would sit. And I've got to tell you, for some of you, that's not difficult because you sit in the same spot every Sunday morning. You, you've got your spot. Well, the Lord knew you'd be there, but he also knew that some of you would get bounced. You know, you didn't get here quite early enough to get your favorite seat, and some other Christian took it, and now you're on the other side of the room, and you're just set off a little bit. You know, you're just a little bit perturbed. You know, things aren't quite the, the same over on this side of the sanctuary. The Lord knew that. Have you driven up to Denver recently and gotten stuck in traffic? The Lord knew that you'd be sitting your can in traffic for a lot longer than you desired. That stinking Renaissance Festival gets you every summer on the weekends, doesn't it? Cruising up past Monument and you're like, lockdown, what happened? The Renaissance Festival happened. The Lord knew. He knew you're sitting down from, from afar off. When you get up, when you sit down, God's aware. That's how much that he's in the details. Monday morning comes, start the work week, God knows. He knows that you're going to be sitting at that desk. He knows that your boss may come to you and say, hey, I need you to take this trip. That's amazing how closely God is acquainted with our ways. He understands our thoughts from afar off. We haven't even begun to think it yet, and the Lord knows. The Lord knows here in just a few minutes you're going to be thinking a lot about lunch. It's the noon hour. Smash burger, chipotle. Oh, Chick-fil-A's closed. Oh, you know. He, he knows. He knows what you're, you're thinking. What's amazing is that he knows our thoughts so well, but yet he still loves us. 
that he's our father, that he sent his son to die for us. He knows our thoughts are far off. You've comprehended my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. He, he gets it. He understands your path. He knows where you've been. He knows where you are. He knows where you're going. He's aware of when you lie down. The scripture tells us that he sings over us when we sleep. He knows you haven't been sleeping very well because of the pain in your back, the pain in your neck. He knows that you have to get up and use the restroom way more than you'd like. He knows that your spouse snores and it drives you crazy. He's aware of your lying down. He's acquainted with all your ways. There's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Before you even speak the word, before we even say it, God knows it. That's why the Holy Spirit sometimes is knocking upon our heart. Don't say it. Don't do it. I know you're about ready to blow your top. Do not do it. Because he knows us. He knows us that well. He knows what we're going to speak, but before we even say it, he's, he's in the details. He's acquainted with our ways. The psalmist responds to this, and he says, you have hedged me behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot contain it. Church, God's hand is on you. Not just on Saul. God's hand is on you. He's put his love upon you. He's your father. And the psalmist says, this is too mind-blowing for me. The creator of the universe, so much power, but yet he cares about the details of my life. His hand has been placed upon me. Verse seven, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. There's no place that you can go where God's presence will not be with you. There's no place that you will go where God cannot guide you. We go on and says, even there you shall lead me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Dark season of our lives. God has the ability through his presence to make it light, makes the dark places light. You formed my inward parts. You've covered me in my mother's womb. I'll praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. We have so much information of now what takes place in the womb. The 3D ultrasounds. You get one of those 3D ultrasounds and you see your child's face and you recognize them when they're born. You see their hands. It's phenomenal what God does in the womb. The, the first, you know, 21 days of all the things that takes place from con conception to those 21 days, it's phenomenal, and that's God's hand. The rest of the pregnancy, it's God's hand. David didn't have that. He didn't know that. But intu intuitively, he understood the mystery of God's creation in the womb. And he says, Lord, you put me together. Have you ever come to that place about your own life? That God formed you. Why do you look the way that you look? Because God wants you to look like that. Why do you have that personality that God has given to you? Because God wanted you to have that personality. If you don't believe that God's in the details, then how come there's nobody like you? 
In all of history, there's never been anybody like you. You're unique. You're distinctly unique. All of the babies that are being born today, they're distinct by God. God very much is in the details and that's seen in creation. And then our response is, I'll praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. It's a freeing day, gang, when we get to that place where we're not comparing ourselves to the world standard or somebody else standing next to us and we go, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm exactly the way that God wants me to be and I'm gonna rejoice in the design that he has created. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. I was skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there was none of them. God saw you even before you were created. Saw your substance. He's got a book and he wrote down the detail of your life. Your name, the day you were born, all these things that are going to take place in your life, the joys, the sorrows, the struggles, the lost donkeys, the broken cars, the broken bones, the broken relationships, all of it. And then he's got a day written down where you kick the bucket, where I kick the bucket, go home to be with the Lord. We graduate into his presence. It won't be a surprise to him. We don't know when it's coming. Some of us may live to be 95, some... 45, some 65, some 16, but it's not a surprise to the Lord. It's all written in his book. Isn't that amazing? Some of you are like, I'd like to read that. I'd like to know what's coming. He's in the details. He's already got it written down. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I could count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Have you been to the sand dunes here in Colorado? Beautiful, amazing. Let's say we're at the sand dunes and you get a bucket and you fill it up. Try counting out each grain of sand. You could never do it. Think of the mountains of sand. Try to count that up. You could never do it. Then get on a southwest, southwest flight out of DIA. Why? Because you get free baggage on Southwest. You don't have to pay for your baggage. You fly out to Southern California, go out to the beach, Look at all of the sand. How do you count that up? All the sand in all of the universe, God thinks about you more. What are his thoughts towards you? Because it's not necessarily comforting that God's thinking about us unless we know the nature of his thoughts. Some of you are going, yeah, I know God's thinking about me. I'm on his hit list. He can't wait to bring judgment on me. The psalmist says, how precious are your thoughts towards me. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the thoughts you think towards me that of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God's not up there engineering evil in your life. He's not up there engineering judgment in your life. His thoughts towards us are that of peace. It doesn't mean it's always easy. It doesn't mean that the, the journey's not difficult, but the, the heart of our Father is that he's got good plans for us. Verse 19 is this personal expression of dealing with the wicked Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. For they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. 
Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Makes it personal once again. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, you know me. You know me better than I know myself. So would you search me, reveal it to me so that I can walk more closely with you. Last verse and we'll be done. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It's probably familiar, but this is where we will land this morning. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith and not of, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. In the Greek, the word is poema, which we, you get the English word poem, which is also translated workmanship. You are God's story. You are God's workmanship. You're God's poem. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God had good works for Saul that were prepared beforehand. How did God get him into those good works? By the donkeys getting lost. <laughs> Church, God's in the details. God is in the details. He's in the details to ordain opportunities for us to serve him. So as we get up and we leave this place and we go on with our day, we need to be looking for those ordained opportunities. We need to be looking for God's hand in the midst of, of the lost donkeys. Well, church, God truly is in the details. Amen? Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we just ask that right now you would take these truths that we've read, that you would touch our hearts, that you would take Psalms 139, that you would place it deep within us, that it would become personal, that you have searched us, that you know us, that you know what we're thinking before those thoughts come into our minds, that you've written down our days before we were ever born. Father, would you overwhelm us with this knowledge? Would you overwhelm us with this love? When we come into frustrating experiences, may we look for your hand, may we look for what you're doing. Father, you know the hearts, you know those that haven't turned to you in salvation, that haven't seen their need for you. We pray that today would be the day of salvation. God, would you bless your people? In Jesus' name, amen.